This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Bayer promotes responsible environmental stewardship. Bayer is part of Growing Matters, an industry-wide effort that launched the Be Sure Stewardship Initiative this spring. Visit growingmatters.org slash be sure for more information on product stewardship. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell next. Deciding how to manage weeds, insects, and diseases that routinely attack their crops is just one of many decisions farmers must make each season. Protecting bees and other wildlife is a major part of responsible stewardship and why Bayer is part of Growing Matters, an industry-wide effort that launched the Be Sure Stewardship Initiative this spring. Through BeSure, Growing Matters reminds farmers and applicators this season to use treated seed responsibly and follow the label to protect bees and other wildlife. Visit growingmatters.org slash BeSure for more information on product stewardship. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. There are not many issues where Democrats and Republicans agree and certainly many challenges between the Pelosi-led House and McConnell-led Senate. But Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell does expect activity this week on a disaster assistance package. Well, we're going to be voting before Memorial Day. Hopefully we're voting on a package that will actually become law. Uh, This has been the longest period in modern times between a disaster and a disaster supplemental. have floods in Iowa, Nebraska... Uh, farm disasters from many months ago in Georgia, Alabama. Uh, There's still work to be done in Puerto Rico and Florida. This delay is completely unacceptable, and it's kind of a food fight between the administration and the Democrats over how much for Puerto Rico. Well, we need to get all that worked out, reach an agreement, and get it done soon. As I said, we're going to be voting in the Senate sometime before Memorial Day, hopefully on a package that's going to become law. Are there some pieces that have been approved in the House that you think are more favorable to see move through the Senate? Well, I think the bill that finally becomes law will probably be originated in the Senate. There are some problems with the House bill. I don't think the President will sign it. And what we want is to get a law here, an outcome, not just sparring back and forth. When I spoke with the chairman of the House Ag Committee, Mr. Peterson, just a few days ago, he recognized the challenges that were in front of agriculture, and he feared the winter of 19 for what that could mean. And he said, I would love to be able to help, but he said we're $23 trillion in debt. How is that debt figure affecting even disaster legislation like this and other things that you would like to do? Uh, it doesn't affect disaster spending. We've always had a bipartisan understanding that when Americans suffer a a natural disaster, we need to step up. We always have and we always will. What's different this time is this is the first time since I've been here it's sort of descended into partisan finger-pointing, and I'm hoping that's about to stop. One year ago, I sat in this office, and I think almost in the same chairs, and you told me the Senate was in the personnel business. And here we are two years plus into this administration, and you're still in the personnel business. Oh, yeah. There are over 1,200 executive branch appointments that come to us for confirmation. Our Democratic friends have made it very difficult to do even routine confirmations. 
So we sped up the process a few weeks ago. In spite of all this effort to obstruct, we've done um, 41 new circuit judges, two new Supreme Court justices, and we're in the process of processing an awful lot of district court judges. All of these are lifetime appointments, men and women who believe the job of judges to follow the law and not act like a legislator. And I think it will be the longest-lasting contribution of the Trump administration. Thinking then about issues, whether we're reading the newspaper, watching television, or listening to radio, it's about trade and the relationship between the U.S. and China. How is the White House communicating with you on that issue, and, and, and how do you evaluate where we are with that now? It's hard to know. Um, what I can tell you for sure is that nobody wins a trade war, and if we're in a war, I hope it's a short war, and that we sue for peace and have a better trading relationship with the Chinese who've been eating our lunch for years and with whom we've had the worst reciprocal relationship. Uh, I think the president would be better off to spend his time on China like he is now rather than some of the other trade wars that have been um, initiated against our European friends and the Mexicans and the Canadians and the Japanese with whom we've had smoother relationships and uh, we all agree the Chinese are the biggest problem uh, we're hoping the tariff war will come to an end soon the president shortly after the escalation quickly said that he would come to the side of farmers with another round of trade mitigation support the last time that that was done through the administration it favored some commodities more than others and I'll use the crop that's raised in your state tobacco who lost tremendous uh, opportunity in China and had no payment at all. California nut producers, nothing at all, and right. corn farmers got a penny. Does the White House seek congressional thought like the Agriculture Committee and, and others as they develop plans like this, or is that administration only? Well, wh whatever the amount, it won't be enough. It won't compensate for selling product, and uh, it's a poor substitute for selling product. And uh, whatever amount is settled on, you'll have an argument that it discriminates against some commodities and not others. And you'll have an overwhelming feeling that it's a pittance compared to market share that's been lost, which is why this uh, tariff war needs to come to an end, end soon, because people will start finding other places to buy their soybeans and corn. You were a part of reform for agriculture policy, moving away from from uh, supply control and going along with allowing market uh, farmers to m market for a, for the global customer. To have now our hands tied from those main customers, the pain is real in, in the middle of the country. I agree. I agree. That's why I hope the tariff war is over soon. So let's take another step and, and questions then on the USMCA. Trade uh, is very important, but it's especially important at home with Canada and with Mexico. What do you see in your chamber? Well, it's time to move on with USMCA. I've had all my experts look at it. I think it's a good deal, good deal for America. And uh, the problem with trade deals, uh, the Democrats don't seem to like trade agreements, no matter who's president. And they particularly don't like Trump. So the president has a problem in the House, and he is trying to convince the Speaker to call up the trade agreement. In other words, she has single-handedly control over the agenda. And um, 
So the trade representative is, and the president are stuck trying to get the speaker to call up the bill, uh, the trade agreement. If, if he does, and if it passes the House, I think it will pass the Senate rather easily. Under the law, it has to go first to the House. So we can't act first. We have to wait on them. Is there dialogue with the White House? Well, Senator Schumer has indicated he likes exactly what the president's doing in China. But all lies in Speaker Pelosi's hand. Does she, is she going to give it a vote or not? If she gives it a vote and if it passes, it will pass the Senate easily. Is there an issue that will come in the race for the White House regarding climate change? And will your your overall chamber or do you see committees taking action with regard to climate? Look, the climate is changing. It is a matter of some concern. That's really not an argument. The question is, what do you do about it? The Democrats have proposed a draconian plan called the Green New Deal that I allowed the Senate to vote on recently. And only four Democrats voted against it. The rest of them were afraid, so they voted present. (laughs) So a way of looking at it is only four of them voted against it. And the rest of them were afraid to go against these far-left uh, interests uh, playing out full, fully across the uh, Democratic presidential primary who, who are advocating an absolutely nutty proposal that would get us out of our cars, make us rebuild our homes, and lose our jobs over 10 years. Nuts. Uh, no, we're not passing stuff like that. Whether for homes or for manufacturing, stable energy supply, affordable energy supply, it's important. And the coal industry's played a big part of that, and now the coal industry suffering. Can the coal industry survive some of these debates and proposals that are coming here on the Hill? Well, that remains to be seen. A lot of damage was done during the Obama years. And it's hard to come back from that level of damage. Many utilities are now shifting to natural gas. Um, on the climate issue, by the way, we've done a better job of pushing carbon emissions down than almost any other country without this draconian Green New Deal. Um, The previous administration basically signed up for policies that would allow the Chinese and the uh, Russians and others and the Indians just to keep on increasing their carbon emissions and only penalize us. Uh, We're not going to do that. You led the effort in 2014 to be able to study and to look at industrial hemp, and you spearheaded that along uh, with uh, with Senator Roberts, was able to see that and hear the 2018 Farm Bill, and, and now more states are signing up to follow the leadership that you've provided. Are we discovering that there are some other pieces that need to be uh, brought to fore, whether through legislation or can they they be handled through regulation to allow this industry well, I know to come. you're a football fan, and so am I. I think the best way to describe this is we're in the red zone. We're close to the end zone, and there are a few glitches that aren't holding back anything. Um, one of them is we need some guidance from the Food and Drug Administration about sort of what you can say. You know, everybody in the industry wants some standard. We don't want people to be able to claim it cures cancer, for example. Um, their um, uh, crop insurance won't be ready until 2020. This is a free market activity, so the people who are growing hemp this year are gamblers. They've, they've got no crop insurance to 
back up until next year. We just simply won't be able to get it in place for a year. But in spite of all that, I was in a store this weekend in Louisville. CBD was everywhere. Pharmacies and big stores uh, are carrying it already. Uh, they're optimistic this is going to have a happy ending. And as you know, that's only part of the plant. That's the seeds that end up could be in your medicine or your food. You've got the stalks, which could be in your car dashboard. It's a remarkable uh, plant, and uh, we're in the forefront here. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to hopefully replace a lot of the lost income from tobacco. You know, I was drafted the tobacco buyout, which compensated growers for the asset that they lost, that the government created way back there, and now have put in place the legalization of industrial hemp, which gives us the possibility for a bright future in agriculture. So I think Kentucky farmers are signing up right and left. I visited one in Hancock County a couple weeks ago, and he was just sort of a small grower. He had, you know, three or four workers, his wife and himself. And in the other end of the state, I went to see a processor. They hire several hundred people. And uh, they've got to deal with the U.K. Department of Agriculture and some of the scientists over there. And they're doing kind of the high-end uh, part of all this. This is going on all over the state. And it's uh, darn exciting. I'm, I'm glad to have been able to make that possible. At one time, industrial hemp was a big part of the country and now a revitalization. And it could be for more than just one state. Yeah, in the old days, it was just for rope. You know, they were turning into rope. I think what we discovered now is this is a remarkable plant with a whole lot of different applications. You've been a shepherd of the tobacco program and tobacco farmers for a long time, but now you're also looking uh, at potential legislation or to talk about those who are able to purchase tobacco products. What's your plan? Well, I think we've come full, full, full sweep here. Uh, tobacco was, I'm pretty sure, the most important export product back to England during the colonial days. There are, in the capital, U.S. capital, there are tobacco leaves painted in various places. Tobacco was a big part of the beginning of the country. Uh, so vital in Kentucky that back when Alvin Barkley had the job I have now as a majority leader, they created the tobacco program. Uh, when I got here, there was some tobacco being grown in 119 out of 120 counties. You may have seen this farm survey in the Herald-Leader a couple of weeks ago. It said in 1997, before the buyout, there were 46,000 producers. More quotas than that, but producers who were actually producing it. In 2017, post-buyout, 2,600. So we've come full sweep. Uh, and the future, everybody knows tobacco is not good for you. It shouldn't be used, even by adults. But... At the very least, we don't want our children to get hooked on it while they're in school. And so I think it's now time to put an exclamation point on this product, which for many years provided a lot of income, but it's not good for our health. It's time to move on and time to take that message right down to the kids in school who are not only using cigarettes, but are vaping, which is a pervasive problem not only in the high schools, but in the middle schools. Raising the national age to 21 won't solve all of those problems, but it'll make it harder. In the 2018 Farm Bill, there were dollars there for rural development. And even still, there are meetings recently with the president, with Ms. Pelosi, Mr. Schumer, and talking about an infrastructure bill. 
What's needed in rural America? Is the farm bill enough for that rural broadband initiative? Uh, probably not, and the broadband project in Kentucky has obviously gotten kind of off track. We've all seen the articles about the challenges they've had going forward. Uh, broadband certainly is important and certainly needs to be taken to rural America. But that's a small part of the big infrastructure bill that they're talking about. And the, the, the fundamental problem, to be perfectly candid with you, is that nobody wants to have a credible pay for you know, there are really two ways to pay for transportation, leaving aside broadband per minute, tolls and gas taxes. And there's a reluctance on the part of both sides to step up and adopt a rather painful pay for, which falls excessively on low income people. And so I'm not predicting a big infrastructure bill could happen, but I'm not predicting it. What I am predicting is that we'll do another multi-year transportation bill. If we do, it won't be anywhere near a trillion dollars, and nowhere near that. We did a five-year highway bill five years ago. It was $50 billion. So to put it in context, if we're not able to go big because of a bipartisan reluctant to credibly pay for it, we'll fall back and do something smaller which, given the needs, is not ideal, but I think probably the only thing practically achievable uh, going into 2020. big part of uh, the Midwest is the river transportation system, the mighty Ohio, the Mississippi, and the Missouri, and those locks and dams are old and failing. And obviously to repair those or to replace those is not a small price tag. Some have suggested a user fee that even the barge lines would be willing to pay. Is that a way forward? That's already, that's already been done. The barge uh, people stood up, uh, came to us a couple of years ago, and said they wanted a tax increase. We gave it to them. That's already been done. We focused on the Olmstead project and got it finished. We had the grand opening of that uh, dam down in far west. It's actually physically in Illinois, down in far western Kentucky last August. So that was done. The fees were raised. Uh, we're concentrated on filling, uh, finishing Olmstead, and now we need to... to to get on to Kentucky and finish that. The inland waterways are a critical part of the nation's economy and certainly Kentucky's. So looking ahead for the ballots here of 2019, we crossed through the budget uh, divide, and now there is a debt ceiling that is at some point, I'm told, coming ahead. Yeah. When does that surface, and what will be the nature of that debate? Yeah, we have to do two things. We have to agree on a bipartisan basis because the Democrats control the House. We have to agree on what we call a caps deal. How much are we going to spend this year and how much we're going to spend next year so we can have a normal appropriations process. And somewhere in that discussion, we'll raise the debt ceiling uh, to cover that same period. What do you see for the balance of 2019 or your hopes for 2019 in the separate chamber? Well... There's frankly not a whole lot we agree on with the House, but there are some second-tier things. Hopefully we'll get USMCA done. Um, some legislation that's good for the country, but we have big differences. We have big differences over judges, over taxes, over the role and scope of the federal government. <clears throat> I wouldn't look for this to be a very productive legislative period because we do have very significant differences. 
Senator McConnell, uh, a tremendous opportunity to have again to sit and talk with you about issues. We thank you for that opportunity with open mic, and as it is open mic, the majority leader gets the last word. Look, ag- agriculture has been in a tough situation for two or three years, and uh, the, the people who are in that business deserve our admiration because there are not many guarantees beyond crop insurance. And um, I'm hoping for fewer storms, better weathers, and more trade agreements for America. Our thanks to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer. Bayer promotes responsible environmental stewardship, and Bayer is part of Growing Matters, an industry-wide effort that launched the Be Sure Stewardship Initiative this spring. Visit growingmatters.org slash be sure for more information on product stewardship. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.